Hello and welcome to the No BS Approach to Motherhood podcast, hosted by Catherine Hay and Shelley McKenzie. We are both mothers and clinical nutritionists who specialize in women's health. We are here to not only bring you the most up-to-date nutritional and health advice when it comes to fertility, pregnancy, postpartum, and children's nutrition, but our main goal is to break through the BS that can come with motherhood. No topic is off limits, so grab a cuppa or a glass of wine and join us for another raw and real conversation surrounding motherhood. This episode is proudly brought to you by Cacao Mama. Cacao Mama is a talky business run by a single mama that had her life changed by cacao and is now blessing her community through donating cacao to women's circles, events and selling Australia-wide on her website. Cacao is high in magnesium, calcium and antioxidants and helps calm the central nervous system. Simply by adding a milk of choice, add a small piece of cacao and any sweetener to taste, this can be enjoyed as a medicine for the mind ritual. Use our discount code of NOBS20 to receive 20% discount on your purchase. Okay, so we are back for a catch-up because this was in hot demand after our other catch-up. So we thought we would see where we're both at um, because Shell's birth is forever pending. <laughs> the next catch-up we'll do, hopefully baby's here. <laughs> hopefully. Um, but Shell, fill us in. What's been happening over the last couple of weeks? I feel like not a great deal. I'm 36 and a half weeks pregnant now, still am growing baby, obviously. Uh, what's been happening? Oh, actually, I do feel like I need to clarify the strainer situation from our last catch-up. So we were talking about home births and needing a strainer, and Kathy said, why on earth do you need a strainer at your birth? I thought it was placenta-related. It's actually a pooper scooper. <laughs> so... <laughs> When you're water birthing, apparently the midwives are like poo ninjas. Aha. Uh-huh. And when you're water birthing, if you poo as you birth, which can be very common, yes, they they use the strainer to scoop that up. Which makes sense. So that's actually what it's for. Whether I've pooed or not in birth is still unknown. I'm going that's to have true. to clarify that with my midwives. I had very big clear outs pre-birth, like mm-hmm. while I was in labour. Mm. So I feel like Macca would have told me. Yeah. If I did, he 100% would not have let me live that down actually. No, no. But he hasn't said anything. So I must ask him. Anyway, so that's a strainer. So clarifying that, thank you to all of my friends and everyone in my DMs that reached out and were like, hey, just so you know, it's poop scooper. <laughs> so that's that. And you've been transitioning the boys. Oh, yeah, yeah. So we had a couple of things on our to-do list before baby number three. Mm. Uh, One was toilet training. So we've actually then just something clicked in him two weeks ago and he is all of a sudden basically toilet trained. Uh, Prior to that, we'd had a little bit of trouble, had to use lots of bribery, lots of lollies and what have you. He has an unbelievable capacity to hold. He can hold for up to 40 hours. Whoa. Yeah, which is that a UTI almost? Like could that develop? Into it could a, develop into yeah. a UTI. Oh, so wow. it was something that we were working with with his daycare as well. Mm. Just and, and I was at the point where I was about to book him in with a doctor. I, mm. I don't know what they would have done, mm. but I was like, we need to go see someone because this can become a problem. Mm. So he was, yeah, holding for up to 40 hours. And apparently it's a bit of a control thing. Okay. So when kids uh, are holding for long periods of time, it's like they've got control over something. And I wow. guess we were really mindful that there's a lot of shifts going on in Van's world right mm. now. So that was a really interesting one. And it made toilet training quite hard. So there was only one or two times where he held overnight all next day into the next night i can't fathom this i feel like i go to the toilet every hour insane right so maca my husband apparently when he was younger didn't need like he also had a really good holding capacity and never was a bedwetter or anything Mm -hmm. i was like a bedwetter until old like Mm. i I literally wet the bed until i remember going to sleepovers Mm. and having to wake up my friend's mum's in the middle of the night because I was so embarrassed I'd wet the bed. And I was primary school years and that would happen all the time to me. Yeah. Or I'd, you know, have a dream and end up in my walk-in wardrobe I had at my parents' house and I'd end up in there thinking I was on the toilet because I was dreaming I was on the toilet and I'd get stuck. So I still remember though. So I was old enough to have that memory. Mm. But Van is obviously like Macca and has the capacity to hold. So it's it's been a really hard space to navigate because for a while it was like 12 hours. Mm-hmm. So he would go overnight in his nappy but then would hold 
all the next day at daycare or with me just would not go and then we'd eventually get him on the toilet but because he has such a good holding capacity you sort of just felt like all day you're like do you need to go to the toilet you need to go to the toilet you need to go to the toilet Mm. and then it just became a thing yeah thing so it's been like a really interesting space to navigate and so we use bribery a lot which some people will be listening thinking you can't do that but we had to use lollies because he could hold Hold. but he could also go yeah so he'd sit on the toilet with a lolly and go go yeah so uh yeah but in the last two weeks the boys actually went away camping Macca took them camping like in a tent and he came home that Sunday and ever since he's been going to the toilet so anyway so we've been navigating that so we wanted to have van toilet trained before the next baby just purely because we live in a city and our bin capacity literally does not hold three children's nappies. Nice. <laughs> like we always we already have to do rubbish tip runs because yeah. we can't. Anyway, so and the other thing that we've been doing is we wanted to have the boys in the same room because we live in a three bedroom house. Even though baby, it, the boys' rooms are upstairs, baby will be downstairs with us for a little while. We wanted to have a spare room, for example, when my parents come and help us or Maka's mm. parents come and help us. So, uh, yeah, we've been transitioning the boys. It's actually gone pretty well. We've done it really slow and steady. They're in bunk beds. Uh, and we started just by doing it when two of us were home. So mm. Friday, Saturday night we'd do it because Mac and I were both here. If we had a rough night, we could tag team the boys. So it wasn't just sort of all on me every working day that yeah. Mac was at work. Uh, so, yeah, initially we tag teamed it and now uh, we've had our, my mum here for a week helping us and we just thought let's do it. Yeah. So yeah. it's gone really well. We stagger their bedtime. Yep. So Lenny first, once he's asleep, we put Van down. But yeah. And how are they having chats in the middle of the night? What's it kind of looking like? Well, the other night Lenny woke up singing at 2.30 and normally I'd just let that fly, but the van was yelling out like, Lenny, no, sleep, sleep. So, um, <laughs> yeah, so it's been quite cute. And we thought in the mornings if Van woke first, he would also wake Lenny and that's a little bit problematic because yeah. it's a long morning then for Lenny and he only has one sleep yeah but that hasn't happened either Van's been coming down he gives Lenny a little kiss and a cuddle shuts the door behind him and comes and hops in bed with Aww. me in the morning so it's actually yeah it's yeah. gone well how good uh, we tried it a little while ago and it clearly just wasn't the right time yeah. and so we stopped again yeah now we've done it again it's pretty good to tick off really important boxes though right before you give birth to baby girl because they're going to be a bit of a game changer in your postpartum recovery too yeah yeah and it's really funny because even this toilet training with van lenny has watched this Mm. and lenny's in the biggest size nappies you can get and he barely fits so i think lenny's toilet training unless he slims down (laughs) which i'm not encouraging the diet but his uh toilet training is probably going to be earlier than what vans was and so it's funny because lenny will tell us that he's done a wear a poo and he'll ask to go and sit on the toilet he'll go to the the door and we've got one of those little potties that has it's like looks like a a toilet toilet, so i needed something that van could be self-sufficient on so he could take himself to the toilet and and sit on it himself without me needing to pick him up yeah and put him on the toilet so Lenny's been asking to go as well which yeah. is really interesting because yeah. he's been watching bands so it'll be interesting to see how that space unfolds yeah, also absolutely. Uh, and Lenny I should mention as well with the whole bed thing so Lenny's only 17 months and yes he's in uh, we've got king singles because mm-hmm. we have large children mm-hmm. but he's been in a double bed for most of his life. Yeah, okay. So, again, I'm going to have a lot of people like, oh, my God, what? Yeah. But he's a man of comfort. Yeah. He has never really slept well in a cot. Yes. He grew out of a bassinet after literally weeks, so wow. we had to go and get an extra long bassinet. Yeah, and then he grew out of that too, and yeah. we just never really got him in a cot. Mm. So we had him in a safe bed. It was pushed up against a wall. The cot was on the other side with, like, the edge down. Oh, the edge, yeah. So he couldn't roll mm. off the bed. So Lenny's been in a in a double bed for most of his life, yeah. unless we're travelling or we've got people staying in the spare room, mm-hmm. then Lenny would go in a cot. Yes. So the transition for him into now the king single, really easy. Not even a drama. Interesting. Yeah, mm. so good. And I guess second child, you know, I, I'm probably going to get some Karens, but second child, you, you are a bit more experimental. You, you trust yourself more. Yeah. You know more. Uh, you know, Lenny's been a belly sleeper his whole life mm. as well. Mm. So it's just different child. It's what worked for us. Mm. And, yeah. Yeah. So that's him. Oh, 
that's it. And Lenny's a big boy. He's bigger than Sonny and Sonny's older. He's, you know, he's long. He's a long, big boy. He's literally almost bigger than Ben. Like he's in three-year-old clothes yeah, and he's incredible. 17 months old. So incredible. he is a big boy and he's a, he's a very sturdy, he's long, but he's a very sturdy mm. boy as well. So mm. Essentially, you know, if we ever give him Panadol or anything, we're not giving him Panadol for <laughs> like he's he's having a, a three year old dose, dose because he's that size. Yeah. Absolutely. So yeah. So that's Lenny. So it's been a totally different ball game to what we ever did with Van, but it worked for us and as you would have heard in the sleep one, we have done things very differently with Lenny, but he's our great sleeper. Yeah. That's so it. that's sort of what's happening in my mama world, I guess. Yeah. And how about you? Because you've had a bit going on. You you did a post on Instagram. Mm-hmm. Tell us about everything you've had going on. Yeah, so I guess I opened myself up to be vulnerable and it's hard as a practitioner because a lot of the time people think we're unicorns and, you know, our health is fixed and happy days and health is forever changing like we know and I am well aware that sharing my journey on Instagram has opened up a lot of conversations for other women to further explore their further investigations with their hormones as well. So I was happy I did it. I am booked in for a laparoscopy on the 5th of July. Yeah. Uh, after I gave birth to Sunny, my periods have been extremely heavy to the point which I opened up about on my Instagram the other day. You know, I was in Woolies. I didn't have any period care at home, so I had to race down to Woolies, had toilet paper in my underwear, and I bled through all my mm. clothes. Walking around Woolies, had no idea. Um, it wasn't until I sat down, I was like, oh, I can actually see it. And that was humiliating for me because this has never happened before. This yeah. is all uncharted territory. I've always um, experienced painful periods, but never heavy painful periods. So I knew in my gut something wasn't right. I took these steps to establish a relationship with a gynecologist because my obstetrician gynecologist has left Queensland. And he was great. He heard my story, asked me all the questions that I wanted to be asked, knowing I send my patients off to ask these questions to gynecologists. So I'm so aware to advocate for myself too, which is obviously really important. So went to a new gynecologist. He was fantastic. He did an internal ultrasound on the spot. There was a fibroid there sitting in my uterus, and he explained if you were my IVF patient, I would never insert an embryo into you because your chances of a natural implantation have decreased significantly with that fibroid. Perfect. That's fine. Knew something wasn't right. That's why I'm here. I also suspect I have endometriosis. My cervix is getting pulled to the left, um, which is another clear sign that there is possibly some type of endometriosis in the uterus. I've suffered from IBS in my past. My whole health history is an episode on its own. It's a very interesting one in terms of hormones and things like that. So we are having hystoscopy, laparoscopy. I'm doing the IDN flush through my fallopian tube. This is all part of my preconception plan. So I want to know, I'm excited about the surgery because it will give me peace of mind and obviously peace of mind for a long-term management plan. If I do have endometriosis, I want to remove that fibroid because I obviously want to have another baby. So I think opening up in the space that we're in has been empowering for me as a practitioner, because there are so many other practitioners who have reached out saying, join the endo sister club with me. And then you're like, okay, great. I'm not alone. It's, it's, it's so common. It's what one in nine now that have endometriosis and diagnosis can take many, many years to, um, well, yeah, it can take many years to have that formal diagnosis. So laparoscopy it is. I'm happy to share my pre and post uh, surgery support and what I'm doing to help myself through that. I'll have a week in bed and my mum is flying up to look after Sunny because I won't be able to pick her up and do anything like that. And I'll also be in hospital overnight after laparoscopy. So I'll have time to talk about that as well. So that's, I guess, me. There's nothing really else massive going on, but that's my, yeah, that's an update on my health history. Yeah, maybe we can do like a, an episode on your health history and everything you're going through right now, maybe post-surgery and mm. just that lead up and what have you, but also very empowering as a woman, but also as a practitioner, because from this experience, how many women are you going to be able to further help having gone through it as well, as much as I'd love that you are not having yes. to go through it. But yeah, it, it's a beautiful thing that you're sharing because even just hearing 
about your health history and no doubt like the symptoms and, and that bleeding through isn't a normal no. part of a period. It might just spark that conversation and another woman to think, oh, well, maybe I've had enough too and it's time to get this further investigated. Absolutely. And I think because I have all this knowledge around endometriosis and hormones and looking into that from um, a pathology perspective as well and having a look at those drivers, I think it's going to be really empowering to see, ah, oh, okay, so, you know, X, Y, and Z have never really added up and this is why, because yeah. there is that diagnosis. So excited, terrified, all the things. Um, I don't really want to go under the knife as none of us do, um, but yeah, keen to see what's going on. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. All right. Well, let's uh, do a whole episode on that. Yeah. Even just like who you've got as your support team mm. and because a lot of women don't know where to start in this journey. And and to ask the right questions. Yeah. You know, you can go see a specialist and they can you can be in and out within 10 minutes, but how can you get those questions answered in that short amount of time, especially when we're looking at something so significant as endometriosis? Yeah. It is it's a proliferative disease that can really impact your quality of life. There's so many questions that I send my patients off for, for to ask their specialists and obviously I was well equipped with that um, but I was really lucky that my specialist asked me those questions anyway yeah. you know you want to know your long-term health history because that really perpetuates that endometriosis picture so yeah I don't know I feel like I've just rambled on there but no that's, you haven't um, at all. <laughs> no 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 it's all yeah it, it honestly is an episode in itself mm. so we will definitely touch base again yes. and do a whole epi because I think uh, just that awareness and having you who's so knowledgeable in this condition but also in this space and being a patient, huge value for our listeners as well. Yeah, absolutely. So there's our little catch-up. Lovely. Um, let's dive in then. Let's go into it. Today we are joined by Emma Maidman. Emma is a yoga and meditation teacher, a writer, a speaker, a podcast host, a mother to 15-month-old River and a business owner of Flow State Studios, an online platform offering yoga, fitness and meditation classes. We really wanted to explore the concept of a pain-free labor in today's episode. So many women have thoughts ingrained into us from an early age when it comes to labor and birth being painful and in some cases a horrible experience. We talked to Emma about tools and techniques that we as women and mothers can use to change these perceptions and go on to have a beautiful experience. For some, this will sound like a very weird concept to be talking about, and you may wonder how this is even possible. But believe me, this is an episode you definitely want to tune into. So let's jump in. Hi, Em. Welcome to the show. Let's dive straight in. So tell us who you are and what you do to begin with. Yeah. Hi. I am so excited to be on the Twins podcast. <laughs> For those of you who like can't see it, these girls look like absolute twins right now and I'm loving it. <laughs> um, my name is Emma Maidment. I am a new mama. I have a 15-month-old little boy, which I guess is technically new. Um, I am a yoga meditation teacher, a speaker and a writer, and I spend a lot of my time now working on my podcast as well, um, where I talk to these guys and a bunch of other people all about kind of health and wellness. It's kind of my big passion through the lens more of spirituality as well. So that's just a little bit about me without going into the long story of it all. Um, but yeah, I'm excited to be here. Yeah, thank you. We are so excited to to interview today because you've got so much knowledge and, you know, I will, both of us have personally worked with you with your meditation classes and have gained so much insight to that. So can you fill us in a little bit about flow state and, and, you know, what you like to encompass in what you bring to the table as the services that you offer, because it's not only important in our everyday life, but as mothers and healers and what does that encompass? Yeah, totally. Um, so my partner Tyson and I, his background is PT, yoga, meditation teaching as well. Um, and we started Flow State Studios. We were actually planning to start it before COVID. We were supposed to be in Bali with a videographer and like it was a whole thing. And then COVID happened. We got pregnant and we were like, okay, we'll just do it in our living room. <laughs> um, and so it kind of started, I guess, as, a, you know, we wanted to bring yoga, meditation and fitness to people, make it accessible. We started by doing live classes 
But we went with the name Flow States because we were already running retreats called Flow States Retreats because we really don't believe it's just one thing. Like we're not like just meditate or just do yoga or just eat well and your life will be in flow. It's a really holistic approach. And so we're actually in the very exciting stages at the moment of developing an app. So Flow States Studios will Flow States will become an app in itself and it will encompass a little bit more of the holistic approach um, in terms of we'll, we'll be bringing in um, guest speakers to do little webinars and things like that, talking about health and wellness from a really holistic perspective. My partner has trained with Paul Check under the Czech Institute of a holistic lifestyle coach. And we both really love that his style of just looking at all the aspects of your life and how does that create a life in flow? And, you know, we can find flow in literally anything that we do through repetition. So it's not just like, you know, meditate once and you'll instantly be in flow state. It's the more that you actually do something, the more proficient you become at it, the more flow you start to find within that. So you can do that by washing the dishes. You can do that by becoming an elite athlete. Like you can find it in so many aspects of life, but essentially flow state is when you are just so present with the present moment that there's nothing else exists. You're just totally in flow with whatever it is that you're channeling your energy into in that moment. And that's powerful for parenting. That's powerful for childbirth. Like that's powerful for every aspect of your life because we live in a world that is the opposite of that. Like we're so distracted and doing a million different things and multitasking and like da 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 that we then don't have that fulfillment because we're not actually accessing that place of like where everything just feels in alignment and it flows and it's effortless. And so we aim to teach people different ways that they can access that. Well, I feel like you're talking to the queens of busy minds. <laughs> <laughs> I get it. I call myself a recovering type A. <laughs> yeah. And so um, one topic that we really want to explore today and we sort of, touched on just a little bit then the childbirth and being really present but uh, we want to explore the idea of a pain-free label mm. which some women will be listening to and just think we're all what the heck <laughs> <laughs> this is a really interesting I guess concept and thought for a lot of people can you talk us through you know how, how well, first let's actually start with your mm. um labor and birth and how mm. that experience was for you and then maybe we can dive into like tools and techniques and stuff yeah totally so i guess you know kind of what you were saying when people hear the word pain-free birth you're like what and that was definitely me you know even my mum, she was like i loved childbirth it was amazing it's the most painful thing you'll ever do but it's so worth it and so that was kind of really drilled into me that like, this is going to be a really painful experience. And that instantly made me fearful and like tight, which is the opposite of what you want to be going into childbirth. And so I knew that I had to rewire my perception of pain because like, I'm that person that stubs my toe and the freaking world ends. Like, it's <laughs> like my pain tolerance would be described as zero. <laughs> You know, I'm like, can I have the numbing cream for the wax? Like, I'm just, ah. <laughs> and so I realized that that was something that was, you know, holding me back. And it actually kind of, when I reflect on it, it actually started when I really started getting into strength training. And I started to learn that in the gym, you could push yourself beyond that kind of like Tyson calls it the pain cave where you're like in a workout and your body can physically keep going, but your mind's like, can I swear on this podcast? Yes. <laughs> your mind's like, fuck this. I don't want to do it anymore, but your body actually can. And then there's that kind of internal conflict that you need to work through and you get through it and you get to the other side and you're like, euphoria, I lifted the really heavy weight. Yay. And so when I um, became pregnant, I was kind of thinking, okay, I need to work on my relationship to pain. What is it? Um, because otherwise I just knew that I was going to go into that being fearful. And I knew that fear was, you know, a big, going to be a big blocker for me having the birth that I wanted to have. So I started looking into pain and I guess I started to see it that there's different types of pain. You know, we have the pain where we fall over, we break our leg and our body's sending pain signals to our brain. Like something is wrong and you need to fix this right now because your leg's in half, you know, not ideal. And then we have these kind of other things that we define as pain that are really maybe just things that we could actually breathe through. Like nothing is actually wrong in this scenario. I'm just experiencing really strong sensations and there's a really clear difference. And so 
for me, it was coming back to that internal knowing and trusting that if I was experiencing what I would see as pain being something is wrong and I need to address this, or this is a really strong sensation. How can I actually stay with this and stay with my breath and use, you know, I used sound, all sorts of different things to actually work with that sensation rather than just being totally overwhelmed by it. And so for me, definitely like exercise and meditation really, really help with that. And yoga. I mean, you know, when you're in a yoga pose and you're in a warrior and your arms are out and the teacher's like five more breaths and in your brain, you're like, fuck you lady, my legs are shaking. My arms are going to fall off. Like five more breaths. You said that 10 breaths ago, hurry up. And like the point of yoga asana essentially is to put the body under stress and then actually train the mind to be able to flip that and stay in a, a calm state, stay in the parasympathetic nervous system. So once I started to kind of look at it from this broader stroke, you know, of all these different tools and modalities that I had, I was like, I actually have the tools to be able to create an experience of labor and birth that isn't painful um, unless something went wrong to, you know, indicate that it was. And so as I started to journey through my labor, I would, and, and I rewrote the script of like, rather than calling them contractions, I'd call them expansions. So it was like my body's expanding rather than contracting. And just even that simple language was like programming my subconscious mind that this is a beautiful thing. It's opening, you know, like those beautiful, it's bringing me closer to my baby and all those kinds of things was how can I soften into this, but also how can I summon my inner strength so that it doesn't just bowl me over. And that was through using sound, um, breath, a lot of meditative techniques, a lot of yogic breath techniques to stay soft and calm. And ultimately, like, I think the first thing I said after giving birth was like, that was awesome. I want to do that again. Like it was like doing a freaking hard workout but I went into it preparing for a marathon. So I was like, this is going to be like 36 hours. Like, give me all the snacks. I'm ready. And then eight hours later, he was born. And I was like, oh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> like that was a bit faster than I thought it was going to be. But I felt mentally so prepared and physically so prepared to be able to stay active, to move around and to confront those moments in my mind where fears came up or where I started to doubt, like, how much longer can I do this for? I was so aware that I'm not my thoughts. I'm not my feelings. I'm having an experience of all of this. So how can I witness that and then go in and create what I want to create in that situation? Oh, that is incredible. Incredible. What, I guess for like the common woman, you know, that, that kind of concept could be hard to take on board. So can you give us some insight or some techniques and tools that you could suggest to women out there that are, you know, are pregnant or looking at different mm. alternatives to how to birth and empowering themselves through that journey into labor and through birth for, yeah. Could you give us some tips and tricks around that? Yeah, totally. I mean, it's really ultimately about knowing yourself. Like I think pregnancy is a beautiful portal that opens for you to deepen your understanding of self because your energy is so vulnerable and open. Like literally you're an open portal for a soul to come into. Like it's energetically, it's freaking wild. And that's also why you're so sensitive when you're pregnant. You know, if someone says you look too big or too small, it's like, oh, like all the feels, or you see a cute cat video and you're like, oh my God, you know, it's, it's energetically. And obviously there's a hormone stuff happening as well, but energetically you're open you're literally a portal for life to come into. It's like incredible. And so with that comes an opportunity to go into deep self-awareness and reflection and actually confronting like, what is it that I'm fearful of? Rhea Dempsey's done some amazing work around this. Um, Her book Beyond the Birth Plan is like a must read. And she literally talks about, you know, the different attachment styles that you have in psychology and how that can play out in your labor. Um, She takes you through like a few different techniques and things you can do to confront fear. Um, For me, I use meditation and I actually have a course on Insight Timer that goes through like 10 days of different meditations to prepare during pregnancy, prepare for labor, that you actually have to like confront what it is that's that's scaring you and creating that block in your body because you get to a fearful point and you tense and you tighten and your body's like, I'm running from a tiger. I don't want to open and have a baby. And then that spirals really, really quickly. So the more that you can confront the stuff as it comes up during pregnancy, the more conversations you can have with your partner or your friends or 
you know, a trusted health professional to actually express like, this is what I'm feeling. This is what's coming up for me and clear it. So if you think about your vessel, you're just like pulling it out and creating just like this, this clear channel of energy to come through as opposed to, you know, they say that childbirth is like, I think it's like 10 years of therapy condensed into however long that experience is. And I, I kind of heard that and was like, okay, I have some work to do. There's definitely some stuff in my closet that I don't want to come up when I'm in this really vulnerable thing that I've never done before and is such a big unknown. How can I address that in pregnancy? So for me, it was definitely, yeah, reading beautiful books, journaling when things came up, chatting with my partner, um, and then doing meditations around releasing fear, around connecting to ancestors and divine goddesses and different um, support networks of women to be like, okay, how can I hold these experiences? Cause they're so common. Like they're not spoken about, but the fears that we have when we're pregnant or even into motherhood, it's, it's quite common that a lot of women are, are feeling that and experiencing it. So you're not alone within that. So also, you know, I loved going to pregnancy groups and connecting with other pregnant women that were going through their own stuff and just seeing like, okay, cool. Yeah. This is kind of a normal thing that comes up and how can I actually work through that? Sure, every woman can relate when she is pregnant or trying to fall pregnant and perhaps has told somebody. But the first thing we are told is other people's fears. Well, I know so-and-so who's this many weeks pregnant and she <laughs> had this happened to her, her baby. Or And it's just like, it's. I, I have, obviously I've had three pre- or four pregnancies in three and a half years and I have experienced it in every single pregnancy and I still to this day can't understand why we as women do that. And I don't mm. know whether it's we're trying to connect with the woman, but rather than saying the positives of our experiences, it always is the negative. It's crazy, right? You know, it's interesting. I taught a prenatal class the other day and kind of told a bit about my birth story and this, the women in the class were like, I've never heard someone describe childbirth as a positive experience. Yeah, and I was like, "Whoa, there's some podcasts you need to listen to." <laughs> but like, it, it, I think it's, I think it's because this is, it's deeply traumatizing for a lot of women. And when we have unhealed trauma, we tend to project that often through, like, seemingly insignificant comments, you know. But it's just that it's stuff that's unhealed within a lot of women, and I think that's why it can be really triggering when someone says, "I loved giving birth. I loved pregnancy." It's like, "Oh, fuck you!" Like so easy for you, blah, 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 because there's stuff within us, you know, it's, it's stuff within ourselves that we haven't worked on. And like, I'm definitely by no means completely healed as a human. There's always stuff that comes up. It's just, can you have the self-awareness to look at that? And I think a lot of people don't have the awareness that maybe telling a pregnant woman that, gosh, you've gotten big is maybe not like a super great thing to say or saying, oh, you're 30 weeks pregnant. Oh, my friend had a baby at 30 weeks. It was a disaster. She had to do like, you know, and yeah. what that, what's that, what that's doing is programming your subconscious mind. So when you go into a state of vulnerability, when you go into childbirth and labor, it's your subconscious programming that takes over. So even though in your mind, you can know that this might not happen to me and there's other ways of doing this and da, da, da. If you've allowed stuff to stay stored in your subconscious, that's what's going to come up. And so a big one for me, and like I was kind of a bitch when I was pregnant in terms of holding boundaries, you know, it's like, please don't tell me that story. Or, you know, like I remember telling people I was having a home birth and like, what are you going to do about pain? What are you going to do about this? What are you going to do about that? And it was like, I'm on my own journey. Like you've got your story. Like I was just so protective of my subconscious mind and only listening to stories. Like obviously you want to be informed about the different things that can happen, but getting to, I got to a point in my pregnancy, where I was like, okay, no more what ifs. I'm, I'm going with like positive home birth stories is what I'm listening to and what I'm programming into my mind. Because yeah, I just, I couldn't have those people. Like my, a friend reached out to me recently and she's like, I wish I never told anyone I was having a home birth. I'm getting all these horror stories. And even though I know in my mind, like it's probably not true for me, it's affecting me. Mm-hmm. And I was like, babe, you've got to go offline. You've got to, you know, in my last few weeks, I sent a text to everyone just saying, contact Tyson. We'll obviously tell you if the baby comes please don't contact me. Cause even that, like, have you given birth yet? You're like, well, obviously I haven't. I will tell you. Like, I remember you going offline around that time because you know, I'm, we're all waiting here to see. Yeah, everyone's like, where's the baby? Where's the baby coming? And I remember, and I was like, I loved that, that you made it known even on social media that you're going offline because that was your sacred place, right? That yeah. was 
space. And, and I, I really loved seeing that as a healthcare professional, but also, you know, following along in your journey. Well, I just knew how vulnerable I was, right? I'm like, I, anything someone says right now could literally affect how this all plays out. So I don't want anyone else's external opinion. I need to go inwards and connect with my innate knowing. Um, and there was definitely times where I was like, because I think he was like two and a half weeks late or something. And I was like, do, 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 um, <laughs> called that a bit early. Uh, what are you <laughs> <doing> here? <laughs> but it was actually really beautiful now being a mum to go, wow, I'm probably never going to have that experience again of that like intense reflection and alone time. Like the next time I have a baby, I will also have a toddler. So it'll be very different. Yeah. I, um, I didn't tell anyone we were home birthing with Van's birth purely for that reason because mm-hmm. we were the same at the time. Home birth definitely wasn't, like this is three years ago, so it mm-hmm. wasn't a uh, common thing as it is now with, mm-hmm. you know, having going through COVID. I know particularly in Victoria, yeah. it's quite common now. But back then um, we were one of six that had um, home births for that year. Wow. Um, yeah. So in, in Victoria, um, it just was wow. not a common thing to home birth still. And, and now, yeah, COVID, that's one of the silver linings, right? It's, mm-hmm. it's become this beautiful experience for so many women and women are starting to explore their options with birth. But uh, Macca and I made the decision not to tell anyone we were home birthing purely for that reason. We didn't want people's fears being um, mm. onto us. So my sister and my mum knew because my mum's been at all the births. So they were the only two that knew and everyone else thought we were just doing share care. Like, yeah, um, yeah just the normal thing, like whatever. Yeah, and then by the time Lenny came and we were home birthing with Lenny, a, it become a little bit more popular, but B, we do home births and we'd had a safe, beautiful experience and people yeah. just didn't expect anything less. They didn't even ask us where we're birthing. Yeah. So it was like so different. Um, but another thing that you girls will laugh at is, and so will my sister when she listens to this, my whole pregnancy with Lenny, she called me big girl. Hey, big girl. <laughs> and I was like, thanks. <laughs> thanks. I may hit you. <laughs> It got to the point where I reckon I was like into my 30 weeks and she said it and I said to her, I am actually going to punch you if you call me big girl again. And she goes, I don't mean it. You're not really. And I was like, no, I'm going to punch you. (laughs) You do not understand the hormones I'm dealing with right now. Watch out. (laughs) I've been this for seven months. (laughs) Feel my rage. But I learned so much, you know, from you, like I worked with you, Shell, during my pregnancy from a nutrition point of view, and even just like reading the articles and the things that you'd written about home birth, it was so amazing to hear other stories. And I was really conscious of connecting with other women. Like I reached out to other women that I knew that had home birthed as well and just had a phone call with them. I was like, can I just kind of ask you some questions about how your birth went and, you know, tips and tricks and things. And, you know, now going into it to me, it seems so normal. Um, You know, I wrote an article for Body and Soul about the other day about how to prepare for a home birth and a girlfriend who is preparing for a home birth read it. She's like, oh, that was so useful. Like all these things I didn't think of. And at the time I'm like, yeah, I wouldn't have thought of that too. Like you don't know until you know. And I think having like telling people's stories is so powerful. It's like why podcasts like this are so important. It's like, let's talk about all the different aspects of, birth and motherhood and, and the multifaceted experiences you can have within all of that. Yeah. And I think that's really important. And that's like a massive take home message from this podcast and uh, from this episode, sorry, as well. But talk to us about those early postpartum days, you know, at home and, and that fourth trimester, because I'm so interested to see how you navigated that space. Um, Cause that was in COVID as well, wasn't it? Yeah, all of this was in COVID. So we were in Melbourne at the for the first lockdown, mm-hmm. and my partner was like, "We got to, We were planning to move to Byron at the end of the year, and he's like, "We got to get out of here now." And I was like, "My first trimester was hell. I was literally dying on the couch." And I'm like, "Babe, I cannot pack up a house and move into state with nowhere to live." Like, I, he's like, "We got to get out now. Like, this is not going away. This this COVID thing. It's like I just I just have a feeling we got we got to leave like literally this week." And so he's like, don't worry, I'll do everything. So we had people coming to view our apartment. I'm like vomiting on the couch. He's like, don't worry about her. She's just pregnant. Like, <laughs> She's not contagious. She's fine. Um, and we literally packed our lives up and, and left. Um, and so 
Yeah, that, and then the whole pregnancy was through COVID, which was way more chill up here in Byron. Um, still didn't, we saw family kind of in between lockdowns and things like that. So I still got to like see my mom and my dad when I was pregnant and whatnot. But then, yeah, it was just kind of like in and out of, you know, you know, you know what that was like. Um, and then the fourth trimester, we went into really, really intentionally. And that was again from listening to other women's stories. And so many women said in podcasts or in conversations that I had with them, like, I wish I had approached that. I wish I hadn't have had a house full of visitors. I wish I wasn't worrying about like if people had tea and biscuits and if they were looked after because I was sitting there bleeding and I wasn't sure about breastfeeding and I didn't want my baby being handed around, but I did it out of obligation. And, and I heard all those stories and I was like, okay, cool. How can I learn from, I like learning from other people's journeys. You know, I think it's really important to go, okay, cool. That's something that they regretted. Maybe I should look into this. And so I started researching the first 40 days, and that honoring of the fourth trimester. And so we decided that we weren't going to have any visitors for that time period. It was just going to be Tyson and myself and people just kind of dropping things at the door until we were ready to invite people into that space. Um, I was so lucky that our online community flow states secretly banded together and organized the golden month for us, for both of us, which was actually epic. So Tyson got to eat really beautiful, nourishing food as well. And that was amazing. So I stocked the freezer with, you know, I, I bought that book the first 40 days and used a lot of their like soup recipes and the Chinese medicine, like all the red dates and all the things like that, um, that are really, really powerful in that postpartum period. And then yeah, had the freezer stock with that, had the golden month food being delivered, which was just game changing and literally spent the first two weeks naked in bed. Um, I remember my midwife coming over and she's like, I tell women to do this, but I most of them don't. And she's like, I'm actually really surprised to see that you took my advice because I'm such a like exercise, get out, do things, moving around. And she saw that through my pregnancy. She was like, it's time to slow down now. I was like, no, nah, I feel great. I'm going to like walk up this hill. And yeah, <laughs> so, and it was surprising for me too, to actually have like two weeks of literally doing nothing. Like Tice was amazing. He did all the nappy changes. He'd stand up and burp him so that I could just literally lay in bed for as long as possible. And that I feel made such a difference to my healing. And then by week three, I moved to the couch and then kind of towards the end of that, I was like, I mean, it was, we had, we birthed in December. So that was the middle of summer here in Australia. And I was like, I need to go to the beach. So kind of like that three and a half, close to four ish weeks, we made a little beach trip and I went for a swim and then we went back home and it was just, we just lived in this little bubble of the three of us. We did, you know, hours of skin to skin, um, like I just remember soaking because I was, I was basically naked. I was soaking everything in breast milk. I'm like, this is not ideal. I probably should get like some kind of a bra situation <laughs> happening, <laughs> wrecking the couch. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah. And so then, and then we slowly started opening up to visitors and that was actually really triggering for a lot of our family. Mm-hmm. Um, we have, we both come from um, divorced fam- fam- families. So that's four sets of grandparents that were kind of pissed they didn't get those like new newborn snuggles and kisses. And, but we just knew that that was ultimately more about them than it was us. Like River's at an age now where he's forming beautiful relationships with his grandparents when he gets to see them. And that's so special and amazing. But I feel when they're like little babies, like they don't really care if it's grandma that's holding them. They just want mom and maybe a little bit of dad. And so that to me felt like just such a beautiful experience of solidifying our bond as a little trio. And then for me to be able to, to rest, like, I think, I think it's Chinese medicine or Ayurveda or whatever they say, like those first 40 days set you up for the, for, for the next 40 years. And I heard that so much and I was like, okay, cool. Like I'm doing this for future me. Like same when I went and saw a pelvic floor physio post-birth, like there wasn't, I didn't feel like there was anything wrong, but I was like, I want to make sure everything's good not necessarily for right now, but for menopause, for when my hormones shift again, like I'm very proactive when it comes to that. So yeah, those first 40 days, like I know a lot of people struggle in those newborn phases, but I found that the best, like that to me was so easy. Cause I just, I just lay around and ate and fed and was in a blur of no sleep and all of that. But it was amazing. Like I've definitely found and, and, you know, as I came out of that and had a baby, I could distract myself. I could still do work. I could do all of that. And then now I have a toddler running around. I'm like, this is way more challenging. <laughs> <laughs> and we went through our pregnancies together. And I remember uh, seeing your postpartum period. And I was like, oh, my God, this is heaven. Because I had a toddler 
and these postpartum period was very different to anything I'd imagined. So I remember seeing that and I remember you were naked for like several weeks. (laughs) (laughs) Which I loved. Like Like all the photos, I was like, oh, I can't really post that. Can't post that. (laughs) But um, just going back to, I guess, setting those boundaries as well, because I remember we had conversations and you and Tice had a very Mm -hmm. clear plan about that postpartum period and what you wanted it to look like. And we sort of had those conversations around Mm. the the grandparents and things like that. Did you um, like tell our listeners what you did? Was it simply get on the phone and have that conversation? Did you flick out a text? Because, you know, Mm. it is really important and you make a really good point that um, those early stages, it's about the, them as a person, not necessarily forming that connection with baby. Cause you're right. Baby needs mama. Yeah. So how did you, set those boundaries to begin with. Yeah, it's, you know, that was one of my biggest lessons in pregnancy. I, prior to that, was very lax with boundaries. Like I'd set a boundary and then someone would push me on it and I'd be like, "Ah, whatever, whatever makes you happy. Like I don't want to rock the boat. And it was like pregnancy ignited this like mama bear fire in me. And I was like, nope, this is about me and my baby and my partner and what works for us as a family unit. And so something just shifted. And so I had the conversations early on and it was most challenging. Like my mum was quite offended and that was really hard to, I guess, hold her reaction to it, but also then try and educate her and around it. And she was really great. Like once I actually told her, I'm not doing this to like be a bitch and shut you out. This is why I'm doing it. And here's a podcast and here's a book. And Mm -hmm. she kind of read up on it and was like, oh, wow, like it's actually a thing. And then she was like able to understand it and process it on her own rather than feeling like, oh, it's a personal attack of not wanting me around. Um, And then my dad, I remember telling him and he was like, oh, that actually makes a lot of sense. Like, you know, what am I going to do with a newborn? Kind of just, you know, you give it a pic, you hold it, you get a photo and then you sit on the couch all day while the mum goes through the cycle of like eat, sleep, burp, feed, you know, it's just not really much to do really other than that. And so we kind of had those conversations early on and then we sent out a text message. We kind of just then got, we went a little bit more extreme. Uh, we, we had a few iterations of the text because we were like, this is too aggressive. <laughs> but like we don't want people to hate us us and to like never want to come and visit us because they're terrified of us um but we just you know we did things like when we were opening up to visitors we said we sent like kind of like guidelines of like please don't wear perfume please don't kiss the baby like please be really mindful that when you come we might be sleeping and your you know your role would be best served unpacking the dishwasher or just educating people because particularly if you're not aware of that postpartum period in those first 40 days or you're not you're not a newer mum. Like I feel like mums that, you know, like my mum and that generation, you forget so much. Like even now I forget so much about the newborn phase. And so, you know, like I remember a girlfriend saying to me early on, the best thing you can give a new mum is a meal and going and cleaning a kitchen. And it's so true. Like having friends come over that got that, they just immediately, like I'd be, I'd say like, oh, just let yourself in. We'll be out in a sec. And they'd go in and tidy the kitchen or fold the washing or just like just intuitively do the things they could see needed to be done. And then they'd make me a cup of tea. And, you know, then it's like if they're invited to hold the baby or whatever, it's great. But there wasn't, we we were really clear to set that expectation of like, you're not coming over to be served food and drinks and, you know, like bring that stuff with you. And it it was great because it started to, you know, then create that awareness within other people that maybe hadn't heard of that for then taking that into other friends or family that were birthing and, yeah, I, for me, it was really just being clear on what we needed and where our line in the sand was, you know, like people, people have a lot of requests about like, you know, you have to have a vaccine before coming and see my baby or whatever. And it's like, okay, cool. If people are going to ask you that, then I can ask you not to wear perfume <laughs> and I can ask you not to kiss my baby and not to, you know, like, and there were, you know, there was times when people came over and they were wearing perfume and we had to say something like, hey, if you're coming back tomorrow, could you please just refrain from wearing perfume and explain to them why? Like, I think that's the important part is like, it's nothing personal. I'm not saying your perfume's gross, but these are the reasons why we don't want bubs exposed to that at the moment. And they were like, oh, I had no idea. Sure, no worries. Like, I think it's just getting over that fear of having to be liked and having to have everyone, you know, want to... Um, please, you know, like that people pleaser. It's like letting go of that and being like, what, what do I need? And, and communicating that really clearly. Yeah, absolutely. I think that 
it is such an important thing and something that I know will be a massive take-home message to a lot of our listeners today. And Em, before we wrap up this episode, do you have any other words of wisdom for our mamas out there about any part of you know pregnancy, childbirth, the postpartum period that you can share with us today? I think it's just really like know yourself and what do you need? Because you know, for me, I exposed myself to lots of different people's stories and took from that what resonated with me. And I think that's really the most important part is not trying to live out someone else's journey or someone else's story. Like this is your transition into motherhood. It is what you want it to be essentially or what you're envisioning it to be. So educate yourself 100%. Like I don't think putting your head in the sand and being like, oh, I trust my body and it's all going to work out fine. Most of the times when I hear stories like that, it doesn't work out maybe because there's a lack of education something goes wrong you're like I don't know what to say to that or what to do and so I think informing yourself is really really important and then kind of putting that aside and being like cool I've I've got the information and now I'm going to go inwards and connect in with what resonates with me like if sitting at home for 40 days with no visitors or whatever seems like a terrible idea for you then don't do it you know do a different version of that or if you're you know our family was all eight hours away so for them to come they were coming for like a week at a time it was a whole thing but if you've got mum you know grandma that lives down the road and she's happy to bring soup every day invite her in like it's it's really not being prescriptive about it and following like a set regime and coming back to like what resonates with me and deeply deeply trusting that because that will lead you into motherhood like when your kid gets sick for the first time you'll google it and suddenly you're like ah, oh, there's like a million different things i could do and this mum said she did this and this other mum said she did that and it's really overwhelming but when you come back down to okay what feels right for me? And then who is this baby? Like what, what serves them? What's their constitution? Like getting to know them and what they need. I think it, then just be, everything becomes individualized rather than this whole, like I'm following X, Y, Z style. And I have to be rigid in my Ayurvedic postpartum or whatever. It's like what actually resonates for you and honor that without need to explain it to anyone. Like you just, this is what works for me. This is what I'm doing. And yeah, I think it's just coming back to knowing yourself. Fabulous, fabulous advice. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so, Em, tell us where we can find you, where we can find your podcast, your meditations, all of that. Yeah, so you can find me on Instagram. Um, Emma Maidment underscore is my handle. And then the Flow Lane podcast um, is my new little baby. Um, which is on all the podcast places. Um, and then flowstatestudios.com is our website that will soon be an app. Um, so stay tuned for that. But at the moment, yeah, that's the best place to find us. And then if you do, if you are pregnant and you want some like free meditations, jump on Insight Timer. If you just look up my name, you'll see a few. There's like a yoga nidra for pregnancy. There's a connecting to your baby pregnancy. All those meditations are designed to connect you inwards to you and your baby on that journey of you two coming together and then yeah that beautiful rite of passage so that's all the spots incredible well thank you darling we have absolutely loved this conversation and we will chat to you again soon no doubt thanks for having me thanks darling thank you so much for listening if you have enjoyed this episode please subscribe and leave a five-star review That way we can continue to inspire and reach more mamas around the globe. If you would like to get in contact, request a guest or topic, then head to the No BS Approach to Motherhood Instagram page and send us a direct message. Otherwise, until next episode, stay sane, mama.